Thank you for joining the Leader Generation Podcast, where B2B and B2B2C marketers can explore new technology and strategies to effectively fill their sales pipeline and contribute to company growth. Our host today is Tessa Bird, the Chief Technology Officer at Tenlo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Leader Generation brought to you by Tenlo Radio. We are going to open the episode with a big announcement. Tenlo was recently acquired by MADOP. That is short for Modus Operandi. We are really excited about uh, how Tenlo will look and evolve as a MADOP company. And great news, leader generation as a podcast will continue. The benefit that the podcast is gonna experience is we'll start hearing from experts in PR, social media, digital display, Man, there's so many, I can't even keep up. Video. So now when you think about leader generation, you're gonna be able to think about all the ways that digital content and design and user experience in general really help us bring amazing experiences to our clients to convert leads. But let's get back to what's going on today. We have an awesome guest. She's returning for a second time, Hannah Jakover. Thank you for joining us. Hello, it's good to be back. I can't stay away. <laughs> yeah. I know the first conversation was so good. And this one, we're going to dive right into the meat of what this podcast is all about, which is generating leads. Uh, so the specific topic that we're looking at is what is the role of tech? And maybe this is a bit selfish since I'm the CTO here at Tenlo, and sometimes I get a little tech heavy, a little tech excited. So I'm really excited to get your perspective on the breadth of lead generation. What's the definition of that? What's it mean? And how does tech play the most effective role in helping people and businesses get results? So first question for people, and since this is such a different subject in our first interview, tell us a little bit about your background and experience in the realm of lead generation. I have been in the realm of um, demand gen, lead gen. I usually use the term demand gen within B2B tech for the last 11 years and really just kind of started as a sponge and was observing at an agency and then kind of started running our own internal marketing efforts and then expanded that into clients while all learning different types of strategies and systems. And so that's kind of where I, or I guess like my start to becoming a, a very T-shaped marketer. And then, yeah, so I've been building demand gen engines for a variety of different organizations for the last 10 years and helping with a lot of different things that all really come back to technology. And I sort of like to view it as these pillars of people, process, and tech. So that's where I play is I think the people pillar is the most important. Cheryl and I have talked about just kind of my move into coaching and like why I'm so passionate about that. However, processes and technology, like those are core pillars as well. And that's, that's really where I like to play. So yeah, just kind of combining those pillars to help our clients, to help clients just sort of find the best way forward, the least friction and get them closer to revenue. So you mentioned that you like to refer to it as demand gen. Can you tell us, is there a difference between lead gen, demand gen, and then a new term that we're hearing a lot from clients is growth marketing. And maybe it's mm -hmm. not, but give us your definition of those three different spaces. 
I wish we had like a Venn diagram, right? Because they all have these overlapping qualities. And so I think that's why people always have this argument of like, it's the same thing, right? And I do very much agree with that. Like it is a, t- a type, it's the same thing if you're looking through a, a lens, right? But if you zoom out a little bit, then you start to see some of those differences. And then on top of that, I think it's important that we understand where you could look at it as like an umbrella or like a tree trunk. What are the core pieces? Demand generation is an umbrella or a tree trunk. And there are many different other things that stem from that. The branches branch out from that. Demand generation is kind of self-explanatory, right? It is the act of generating, not only generating, identifying what kind of demand you need to generate, starting to then employ strategies and tactics that will then allow you to generate that demand. And then being able to have a, um, a strategy in place that then allows you to operationalize capturing that demand as well. So there's a lot of things that can go into that, which is why I like to see or view demand generation as an umbrella or the trunk of a tree. Or I've, I think I've also used the analogy of a lightning strike. It literally powers the funnel in all ways. And so lead generation, also self-explanatory, right? We are employing strategies and tactics with an end result of generating leads. So it's a little bit more tactical. It's not like a 30,000 foot view goal of increasing revenue, increasing conversion rates, decreasing velocity. We don't necessarily tie those KPIs to lead generation. It's really that number of net new leads. And then you might have some, some metrics that flow out of that. But I think for the most part, when we're thinking about lead generation, it's really the practice of generating leads. And again, you can do many different things to accomplish that. And then growth marketing, growth marketing. Yeah, it is kind of a newer term, which is, it's interesting. So it's like, this is the, this is the term that a lot of startups, you'll see a lot of startups use growth marketing. We're hiring a growth marketer. Like from my perspective, when you make this hire, you really do need to think about that Venn diagram of, but we're really just doing marketing. It's really all still marketing, (laughs) FYI. And it's just the approach. It's just the approach. And I think that, I don't know, I feel weird about growth marketing sometimes because I do think demand generation gets under that umbrella. You can be a growth marketer within demand generation. You can be doing growth marketing and demand generation. You can be doing all three of these things at the exact same time. I think growth marketing is an approach almost because you're really thinking about the way that you're approaching marketing in a very different way. You're thinking about it in sort of bite-sized pieces of we're going to try something. We're going to make some hypotheses and then we're going to test it. And so you have all these different experiments and you're also thinking very much in line with reducing churn, reducing customer acquisition costs, thinking about those key metrics that can be tweaked a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit there to then see if it adjusts or gets us closer to our end goal of revenue. So growth marketing, you're more like a scientist, I think, in your approach to marketing versus demand generation. I think it's a little bit more holistic. You're thinking about bringing in some growth marketing tactics or styles, but you're also thinking about all the other things as well. Back to my point about all of this, you're still doing marketing. I think that puts growth marketers in a box that they may not always want to be in, especially thinking long-term for their careers. So I think it's important that you own it for sure, but also then figure out ways to expand your role into how the B2B community perceives lead gen and demand gen, ABM, all of those other things. So you don't get stuck.
Mm -hmm. No, I agree. I think one thing I've noticed with growth marketing is people actually want someone who's very good at CRM and marketing automation technology. And then they also want them to be very good at strategy. They're like, we need you to know this inside and out, but as a tactician, then also be strategic and tell yeah. us how to stop losing customers yeah. and acquire new ones at a lower cost. <laughs> You've just described the pain point of all the marketers out there is like, be tactical, but not too tactical, be strategic, but not too strategic. Cause you have to make sure that you have time to do all the tactical stuff. And then, yeah, it, I mean, it, it is extremely frustrating sitting in a marketing role because of that exactly. And the balance, learning the balance of being strategic and tactical. And then on top of that, learning the balance of delegating those tasks and then where, where is your, what is your role and how are you then bubbling up that information to an executive level and distilling it to where it actually is making sense at the very top if necessary? Yes, I agree. So one of the other popular areas we hear, and I don't know where it falls, demand gen, lead gen, or growth is ABM. So account-based marketing, which Sometimes I thought that's what we were doing when we were supporting sales teams is trying to target specific accounts, influence them and engage them to nurture and convert that lead. But what makes account-based marketing special and, and where does it fall in that Venn diagram? Well, I might have a hot take on this because I think that it is, again, just a component of marketing in general, specifically demand generation. But I think that you can you can, you can be doing ABM through all of these things. You have to break it out because it's a complex style of marketing. It's a complex approach to marketing. So you do have to break it out because it does have so many various pieces that you really have to dedicate a lot of time to, a lot of money to, in order to do it the right way. So that's why I think we see it broken out and called out specifically because it's a big initiative. It really is. However, you're still marketing. You're still just doing marketing, FYI. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I think that there's a place for ABM within demand generation. I think there's a place for ABM within growth marketing. However, you have to have the resources to be able to do all of those things. So it's really hard to sit in a demand gen role and say, we're also going to be doing a hybrid demand gen ABM approach, or we're going to be doing a very strict split of ABM here, demand gen, traditional demand gen here. So it, it, I think that it comes down to understanding the resources that go into a successful ABM program. And, and I think breaking out is important as well because you do have to view the funnel differently. We're thinking about accounts, we're measuring accounts, not just people, but we're still marketing to people, right? So then you can't lose that demand gen component of we're still doing all of these things. We're still marketing to people, but the account-based approach is that we're doing it in a very specific way to the point where we have a value proposition built out for maybe 10 to 20 companies and it's that unique and everything that we do has to be that customized. So you can see that it takes time and money in order to get there. Yeah, I really love that description because I think recognizing that it's accounts and not just customers is a different dynamic. Mm -hmm. Can you give us an example of what are the key components and you talked about making sure you have enough resources. What are those resource drivers or key components that make ABM successful or will help contribute to growth? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think 
it, co it goes back to the pillars of people process tech. So like within those pillars, what are the most important pieces? So thinking about technology, I'll start with the easy one. Or, and a lot for a lot of people, it's not an easy one because there's all this ABM tech out there. And it's exciting to see that's where the market is moving and developing actual technologies that help us with this strategy. But it can be overwhelming and a lot of people want to jump in and buy a piece of brand new piece of technology without doing any evaluation. So I think when you're doing an ABM readiness assessment, evaluating your technology of can your current tech stack handle this? Can your current tech stack actually operationalize a strategy where we're going to now be looking at reporting on accounts, sending extremely customized messages at scale? Because a lot of your typical market automation system, like you need to go beyond that in order to really scale an ABM program. Otherwise, it's going to take way too much time. And then I think people is an important resource because you're very much working in line with sales and maybe even, maybe even product, maybe even customer success. Definitely need more support on your own team for this because it's a big effort. And I think that this is where a lot of people fall short is that they think that they can do ABM, but then they don't understand that when we scale it out a little bit more and we're customizing everything, it takes too much time, especially from a sales perspective of taking that time away from them. Well, I mean, it's not really taking it away from them, but asking them to give more time to this effort when they're not seeing an immediate result can be a really tricky conversation to have. And I think we need to position it. And one of my co-founders back at Mad Kudu would always say it's really enterprise sales that we're doing when we talk about ABM. So I think when we're trying to communicate that to sales and how are we going to work together on this ABM play, it needs to be through the lens of let's think of this as if you were doing an enterprise sales. That's how we need to approach it. You're not doing marketing. You're assisting, yes, but we're really going to dig in through the lens of this is an enterprise sales. We're getting that customized. We're spending that much time on it because these are the accounts that are going to bring us the, the most value to our business and to their business. So they deserve that time. I think we just have to approach it and message it internally in a different way. And then a couple other resources I'll mention. Content is big. Content's a huge one. We're thinking about customizing content for many different accounts, which is what you should be doing if you're doing true ABM. You should have custom content, custom landing pages, custom emails, and going beyond just the name of the company, right? That's not even true ABM. I'm talking, are you, do you have a specific value proposition? Have you done the research on that account to then tie in their specific pain points of XYZ company? And that's what should be included in the customization of these content pieces, which again, takes time and takes a lot of, a lot of content in general. And then I think to just process, process, having a strategy and a process to measure everything great, we've got our programs out the door, but now what? How are we measuring this? How is it flowing through? How are we going to know if there's an MQA that bubbles up and being able to actually implement that? So people that can help develop that strategy and think through the connection between the pillars of technology, people, and processes is, is also really critical. So I think it requires somebody that has that skill set and has done it before where they can really zoom out and, and understand how things should flow through and how we should be thinking about KPIs. 
I love that we started with looking at these three buckets and we just got very granular deep down into what ABM is underneath mm -hmm. the demand gen umbrella. But in all of the answers you gave, there's this consistent pattern of you have to know the process first. There's no magic switch for any of these. You can't switch on and it's like, okay, we're going to start generating leads. And I like that you focus on that first. Make sure you understand the purpose and the goals that you have for this strategy, and then start mapping out what are those resources you need. And the tech is almost the easy part underneath. And then we will use this thing to operationalize the process and the resources that we have now aligned. And I think sometimes when there's a lot of pressure, it's hard to take the time to really think through that process and engage the right people. So let's say I'm going to put on my client hat that I just need leads right now, right now in this very minute. What, what can I do? What is the fastest way to start generating leads? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it depends on your business and who, who you're talking to. So I would say, know your customer well, know them really well. So you can easily answer that question because you know where they're playing, you know what their pain points are. If you know those things, you can get in front of them very quickly. And that if you know those things well, what it allows you to do is spend more time on being creative, spend more time on being creative in your approach, because that if somebody has is, is doing the same old outreach, the same old tactics of trying to get leads quickly, it's not going to work. And especially if you're in the business of marketing to marketers or marketing to devs, we're humans and we can kind of sniff that thing, sniff those or sniff that out. And so I think that, yes, it truly depends. However, what I would say is to look at, look at currently what has worked or look at historically what has worked and what are your highest generating efforts? What has the highest conversion rates? What has the highest close rates? Just to kind of get a good picture of what you've done before and a little bit of an audit around, okay, these things didn't work in the past, so that's crossed off the list. So you can use some process of elimination. What's one of the biggest challenges that marketers face? It's that the sales team doesn't understand the value of digital marketing. To help prove your worth, simply boost the volume of ready-to-buy customers and help your sales team win more customers faster. To get started, download the guide, Five Data Exchanges Between Sales and Marketing to Increase Win Rates. Download the guide at tenlo.com. That's T-E-N-L-O dot com. And now back to our show. And then I would just say, be, be super creative. This, this industry is so ready for that. Your boss, whether they want to admit it or not, is so ready for that. So just bring those ideas to the table because those are going to be the things that convert the most is if you're doing something differently that speaks to your audience, that's what's going to convert, not necessarily the fastest, but the best. I will say that I've seen a lot of solid improvements through the lens of content syndication and doing some third-party acquisition there. I would never just say, go out and buy a list. Please don't do that. But if you have valuable content and you are really, really specific about your targeting and you're getting in front of the people that truly do have that pain point, there are vendors out there that 
have done a great job in connecting those dots and have also used, have grown their base organically. For example, they're not, when you think of content syndication at first, it's like, eh, like I don't like buying leads sounds really shitty. But if you're doing it in the way where it is leaning into their organically grown base and you're providing really good content, you're talking to the right people, that is a way that you can generate some some solid leads fairly quickly. I would say, though, there's a big difference between generating the lead and the lead becoming an MQL, an SAL, an SQL, that takes time. And there's no silver bullet there. There just isn't. You can turn on a content syndication program and generate leads in a couple of weeks, but are all those leads going to be sales ready? Absolutely not. Well, that's disappointing. (laughs) (laughs) I know we just live in a world where we're like, we want it now. We want it now. And like one thing I'll tell you, I'll give an example of something creative that our team did at Mad Kudu. And and this was the brainchild of of our co-founder as well. And we sort of helped him get it to a point where it was actually operationalized and we could measure it. And we started weaving it into all of our other tactics and, and measurement. And we started using our chat bot for for lead gen in a way that we hadn't seen used before. So we were actually giving people the ability to test how we test our product in the chat bot. And so with that, we'd say, Hey, do you want to, do you want to see how mad kudu works? They'd be like, yeah, show me. And so we'd get their email and just their email. Cause we're doing some enrichment on the back end. And then from that, we're actually then able to push them into our tool and give them and score them using Mad Kudu, spit that back out in, in the chat bot to show them how they would map out if they were looking through the lens of, okay, am I a fit for Mad Kudu? Because it's using our scoring model. So this then gave them a really quick, quick and easy view into what that scoring would look like. What are some of the criteria that we score on? And that immediately generated, I don't have numbers anymore in front of me, but that immediately we saw a huge uptick in chatbot generated leads. And not only that, but chatbot generated leads that then turned into SALs and SQLs and closed one deals, which was really fascinating to see of actually breaking that out as a lead source for us. I love that example. And it goes back to, if you do want to generate leads very quickly, then start with first, identify the need. What's the problem you're solving? Two, where are the people looking for information and trying to solve that problem? So you can syndicate Mm -hmm. that content or even just target them in other channels to get that intersection of your expertise and their problem. And then now you're showing in order to start accelerating that person through the funnel, how are you actually demonstrating the value? Just asking for that email address or after an intro, you're showing them the value of the problem, uh, of the solution you're using to solve their problem. That is fantastic. And really clearly kind of, if you have that visual, the funnel shows them from start going in. Mm -hmm. So we talked about scoring. So now this person has seen the value of the tool. Maybe they've interacted with some other content. Tell us a little bit about how we know the value of that email address is an MQL, is an SQL. What are those factors? I think that we're in a couple different, we have a couple different phases of scoring happening today. I think we've got lead scoring 1.0, which is practically nothing. 
where everybody just kind of manually decides who's qualified. And then we have lead scoring 2.0, which is really still somewhat of a manual process, but we're leveraging our marketing automation technology to actionize it, but it's a little bit more stagnant, right? It doesn't necessarily, it shouldn't be stagnant, but it tends to be, it's not learning as people evolve and as companies evolve. So there's not a learning component to that. So it's hard to improve an existing scoring model, unless you have somebody that's really dedicated to doing that on a regular basis. And then I think we have lead scoring 3.0, which is very exciting to me and is starting to emerge a little bit more prevalently. And that's why I spent time at Mad Kudu is because I think they're in that category of bringing in the actual learning component and taking a lot of the, the hard work off of people developing and upkeeping these manual models. And not only that, but lead scoring can be lead scoring 1.0 and 2.0 so subjective, right? Like you're literally just asking somebody or saying, yeah, that looks qualified to me. Or yeah, I'd like to include criteria in this area, this area, in this area. And I think that this is the best fit for our business. Lead scoring 3.0 removes that subjectivity because we're leveraging historical data points to tell you, no, these are the best people. And we know that because we're looking at the numbers and we're running a number of different algorithms to figure out all of the different scenarios that get us to that point and spitting out the criteria that are actually relevant to that journey, which is why I think lead scoring 3.0 is amazing. But from a criteria perspective, I always like to think of three different categories. Some people have two. Some people are thinking ICP, demographic, firmographic as one category, and then behavioral as another category. And I actually like to break it out into three. And I like to do ICP, demographic, firmographic, which should always be tells you somebody the fit. Do they, are they somebody that you should even be doing business with from a fit perspective? And then looking at behavioral, of course, what actions are they taking that are an indication that they might be moving themselves through the journey in some way. And by what they're consuming, you can kind of take your best guess at where they are in their journey as well. And then I also like to consider what I call qualification criteria, which can be very similar to the first category of ICP, demo, firmo, but it's thinking a little bit more deeply about your specific offering and the requirements that are necessary for you to do business with somebody. So that might look like I have a client right now that looks at processing volume. At Mad Kudu, we like to know how many leads you have coming in because there's a certain time to value that can be assessed if you have a lower number of leads coming in versus a higher number of leads coming in. We had a number that says, if you have at least X amount of leads coming through the door, your time to value is going to decrease and you're going to actually see how this product works and how it can help you in a much faster way. So for us, that's a winner. We want those people. So that's kind of that third bucket is the qualification criteria that I like to score on. And sometimes it's literally just for the conversation and segmentation. You may not have a score attached to it, but it is important that we're looking at that, categorizing it and capturing it and passing it to sales. I really like the idea of lead generation scoring 3.0, but especially because I don't like other people's opinions and subjectivity drives me crazy. (laughs) um, what, What is the volume that you need to get that that value. It can it be I'm getting just a few leads every week 
or does it have to be a minimum of like a hundred or a thousand in order to really get enough data to make that scoring accurate? That was a very specific qualifier at Mad Kudu. And we would say you need at least 2000 leads a month to really allow for us to have enough data to make these, make these assumptions and actually do some of the learning behind it. So that's, I think it's a great rule of thumb, but I also think it depends on what your product is and exactly what your market looks like. You might not even have that big of a universe. So you might be working with people that, or have your ICP, they might not even be generating that amount of traffic because that's just not how they operate. So I, yeah, I think it just sort of depends. I I don't mean have it be a little bit of a nebulous answer, but it's the truth. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think we've learned some shocking truths on this call. One, there are no silver bullets. That is shocking. And two, <laughs> there's no one size fits all. Another yes. answer. <laughs> and I am joking, but it is funny because I think there is a perception. There should be an easy button. And mm-hmm. a lot of times when programs aren't going well or unsuccessful, I feel like the tech actually gets blamed first, like somebody wants to switch the tool, but they're missing the opportunity to really kind of go back up at the top and say, are we targeting the right people? Are we putting our value and expertise in the right place to solve the big problems and challenges of why we even exist as a business? But what are some of the other components or factors that contribute to unsuccessful lead gen programs? I'm going to be super transparent here where, because I see this as a consistent problem in our industry and I want to call it out specifically, we don't have patience and we do a lot of things to please our board members, right? It's really frustrating as a marketer because you, if you are a good marketer, you're serving the customer, you're serving your team, you're serving sales. But when you have a boss or anybody else in the company that says, no, I serve the board, that is a direct competition to what your priority is. And it can have a huge impact on the programs that you want to put in place that you truly believe will connect with that other person on the other end that you're serving. And a lot of times we see that get shot down and we see things rushed um, because we're serving the board. We see things rushed because we're trying to meet our numbers very quickly. And it's really a shame. It's something that's not going away because this is what we've created. And this is in fact, how the rest of our society works as well, but it is worth calling out and evaluating for if you're in a leadership position, just, just keep that in mind. So we can, we can better, I feel like sometimes then fingers, finger pointing happens. Well, the reason, the real reason was because I was rushed and why was I rushed? is because you're looking for that performance that without the realistic expectations around how long it's actually going to take to create something really special, special and really impactful, because that's what we're really here to do. And that takes some time. So I think that is probably the biggest killer of demand gen marketing campaigns in general, lack of patience, misalignment around who we're serving. Yes, I, I definitely agree. I think that for people who are leaders listening, there is an opportunity to start putting real metrics and real value against great customer experience. I feel like Mm -hmm. we're always looking at just the bottom funnel metrics and those are the only things that the board is seeing. And so that's what they also get fixated on. It's like, yes, I want the money. The Mm -hmm. money makes the money go up. 
And we're not showing that it really starts much earlier in the process that we will get more money if at the top of the process, we are serving the customer from the first touch on. And yes, that does take time. I also think, Hannah, you've given the audience some really good tools to get there. I love the pillars, the people process tech, and there you can scale effort in each of those pillars up and down, but you do need all three. So there are, we use the word pilot a lot. We can pilot something while we have a more aspirational plan, but even we know that this pilot will be limited. And sometimes I think when people do small pilots or put a lot of resources in something small that can't scale, you, you just have to be very specific and leaders have to recognize what those are for. It's for data learnings and it is way too much money for that one effort. And if you are going to invest, then you do need patience, but patience will pay off. So it's, it is, it's a balancing act. And I think that a lot of it just has to do with how we communicate up so that we kind of stop this self-fulfilling prophecy of the board's obsessed with profit and margins and metrics. Mm-hmm. is like, yes, but is that all you're showing them? <laughs> yeah. Be, well, yeah. And for the most part it, it is because yeah. they don't care. They don't have time, but what's really special is when you have a board or advisors or people that are very much invested in the business at the top that see when you have the time and space to have a stellar campaign and they acknowledge that and they acknowledge the team, they acknowledge that hard work and that effort. And so I think it's important, especially if you're looking for a company to join, ask about the board, ask about advisors. They play a very big part in the company and the company growth, whether you know it or not. And so as, as much visibility as you can get there, I think the better. And I've been in a position where it's been, surprising to hear my efforts, my team's efforts called out by the board around more and given more specificity than just, yeah, these metrics look good. It was, no, this was an amazing campaign because we were connecting with the right people and, and, you know, what progress we made and how creative. So yeah, that's really special when you find that. That is, that's amazing. Well, we're up on time. This was a very robust and deep conversation. So thank you again for being our guest. And where can people find you if they have any questions or want to reach out to you directly? Yeah, thank you for having me. You can find me all places, really. I'm everywhere, even though I shouldn't be. LinkedIn is the best place to me and connect with me. If you want to learn more about my consulting and coaching business, you can send me an email at hana at hypehouseconsulting.com. And I'm in a bunch of different Slack communities as well on Twitter. So I really am everywhere. (laughs) That's great. Well, thank you. And if you want to hear this episode or any of the past episodes, including our other interview with Hannah, visit tenlo.com and click on podcast. You'll see the full list there. Until next time, have a great week and best of luck solving your target audience's biggest challenges. You've been listening to another episode of Leader Generation by Tenlo Radio. Be sure to subscribe on tenloradio.com.